The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following program belong solely to the host and guest and do not necessarily reflect those of this radio station, our parent company, advertisers, or affiliates. Welcome to Sharing Our Stories. We share stories of support for individuals in recovery from substance misuse and mental health-related issues. There are numerous pathways to recovery, and each week we welcome powerful leaders and role models who have struggled in drug and or alcohol addiction, have found a pathway to recovery, and who thrive as positive community members with an ongoing vision of success. Join us as we share our experiences, strength, and hope. When the world says, give up, hope whispers. Try it one more time. Hey, welcome back to Sharing Our Stories. My name is Slim, along with Nani Al-Jalil from Tribe Recovery Homes. Tomas Hernandez could not be here today. But uh, if you're just tuning in, Sharing Our Stories is a program about addiction and recovery. And what we do is we share stories about uh, the struggles people have gone through in their addiction and where they are currently in their recovery with the hopes that by sharing these stories, we can touch somebody out there to find the pathway to their recovery, to believe in their recovery, or if you're a friend or a family member of somebody who is struggling, for you to understand what it is that they're going through and maybe you can be uh, a part of their support system in finding their recovery. So thank you for joining us. We've got a great guest today. Her name is Imani S. Latif. We've already had her husband on, so I'm really looking forward to having her speak. Um, But before we get to Imani and welcome, 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 uh, I got to check in with my girl Nani. Nani, how you been? So good. Good to see you again. Yes, good to see you. Yeah. Uh, we of... just got back from Las Vegas right. uh, earlier, like about a week ago. And uh, it was the grand opening of Tribe Recovery Homes Las Vegas. Yes, it was awesome. So excited to be out there. I just think it's so cool because I've known Tomas for years now to see that, like to see it in person, to go to Vegas and to see the center and to see that it is it is there and it's going to it's going to be a place that brings recovery to Las Vegas. And and there's already a lot of great organizations. We got to meet so many cool people there and literally in the area that they're in, uh, Tribe Recovery Homes Sin City is just surrounded by so many really cool um, community organizations. Yes. Yeah. Uh, There was an LGBT uh, organization in the same parking lot. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a clinic for those uh, dealing with uh, a methadone clinic there. There was uh, an emergency clinic. There was just so many things located in that same spot that you could just see where Tribe Sin City landed is going to be like one more hub for helping people in Las Vegas. So yes, it absolutely. was so cool. Yeah, it's very cool. It was a great. It was a great event. The community really showed up. Um, and you work your butt off. You're at everything, doing everything. Yeah, like you're in Vegas, you're in Denver, you're here, you're there, you're helping folks. In Boulder, yeah, in Boulder, like multi-working. Yeah, love it. I love it. And it's part of your recovery too. It is. It's a huge part of my recovery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, I'm so glad to see you again. Thank Don't you. leave to Vegas without bringing me. <laughs> Imani, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. It, it is a pleasure to have you here because we've had your husband on. I Here's the weirdest part, and I told you this earlier, is when your husband came on, uh, I was dealing with my father passing away, so I wasn't here to meet your husband, and Tomas was here. And uh, I really wanted to meet him. And now you're here, and Tomas isn't here. <laughs> so fine, trying to though. get us We're all in one this. place with a Latif family member seems to be very hard to do. 
do. But uh, I'm so glad to have you here. You are the founder. It is called It Takes a Village. It Takes a Village. Mm -hmm. And what It Takes a Village does is empowers the HIV population with education and psychotherapy. And I'm sure more than that. Mm -hmm. Yes. And how long has that been around? Uh, we celebrated 20 years last year. Yes. Congratulations. Yes. Huge. Well, that's really awesome. So you've been in recovery for over 40 years. It will be 41 years. 41 years. Uh, December 29th of this year. Wow. Congratulations. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Don't, don't look it. And that is an amazing, amazing 41 years. Like, wow. <laughs> wow. But, you, but you, the thing is that I always remember that it doesn't matter how long, you still have to have the same approaches to things mm -hmm. and that I still take everything one day at a time. Um, it's not easy just because it's 41 yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's, it's a lot easier than it was then for me, mm -hmm. but you just basically, um, I remember, I remember what I went through and I don't want to go through that again. Mm -hmm. You know, I, mm -hmm. I remember the people that I hurt. I remember where I was and, and so I have a lot to lose. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of people that I would le let down. Well, so. we, we would be really honored if you would share with us um, some of that and, and, and how you got to 41 years in your recovery. Oh, my goodness. And, and tell us about It Takes a Village. So uh, we want to thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it is such a pleasure. And Malhai, our guest today on Sharing Our Stories is Imani S. Latif. And I'm going to say from New York. From, <laughs> yes. the Bronx. From, the yeah, Bronx. from the Bronx. From the Bronx. All right, from Bronx, New York. <laughs> Thank you for being here, Monty. But I've been here since 1994. But so you're always going to have some Bronx and you I, I can hear have it. Bronx. I can hear it. I'm never going to get rid of that. <laughs> you can't. But, but this is home. I do love this Colorado and it was 30, probably 29 years. Yeah, it was the best it was the best move I ever made. Oh, well, we're glad so, to have you here. Yeah. Colorado was happy to have you. Well, so oh. You know, I I use my life and my experiences to understand what other people are going through and, and work with folks, you know, and it is a lot to do with um, why I started It Takes a Village. Um, but I'm one of those folks, I mean, I, I, I suffered trauma as a child and nobody talked about it back then. I mean, I am a little old and nobody talked about it uh, nobody talked about child molestation and child rape. And I went through that and, and it came out with a vengeance, my trauma, when I was a teenager. And I had nobody to talk to about it. I had tried to tell somebody in my family and they didn't believe me because it was a relative. And so it really, I started self-medicating. But uh, it didn't hurt that I married one of the biggest heroin dealers in New York City, not knowing that he was a heroin dealer. Uh, so uh, when I was 19 years old, uh, I moved in with him, and he was the son of uh, the ambassador to Trinidad and Tobago, uh, from Trinidad and Tobago to the UN. He was, the, he was the son. So he had diplomatic immunity. Uh, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah, yeah. But he also had this double life. So he was in college and he had a job. And when I moved in with him is when I realized what else he was doing. And what at the top of the, at the, top of the 
the chain. You yeah, know what I mean? He was he was he wasn't the one selling it. He was the one people reported to, and he was only 19 years old. Oh wow! wow. But it was a, probably a lot to do with his position f- from his father. Oh yeah! Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Oh yeah! Okay. He had his own money, mm-hmm. and uh, so I move in with him, and. He sold heroin, uh, you know, so I started sniffing heroin. And that's really the first drug I ever used. Um, But he was also, I suffered horrific uh, domestic violence with him. He was very violent. And uh, so then I started using um, uh, pain pain painkillers. Uh, because I had broken bones and I had a broken arm and I had a broken foot and I had all these different things going on. Um, I think that that's one of the main things that we as women, and not to say that domestic violence doesn't happen to men, because it does, Mm -hmm. but I think that that's one of the things that when we talk about domestic violence and we talk about, we we have to examine whether that person went through trauma as a child because a lot of times that's the only reason why it gets allowed. You know, that's the only reason people say, well, why did she stay? You stay because you don't really think you have any value. Um, you, th- you stay because uh, somebody makes you feel as though uh, there's something, you're, you're worthy of something. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, I won't go through that whole thing. I mean, I got out of it because uh, uh, I did some violence to him, um, and I got away. And I actually ran out of the house um, after doing what I did and got on the subway in New York City with my pajamas on and bedroom slippers and went to a friend who I used to work with, and she put me in her house, and I ended up going to Michigan. But um, the addiction had started. And so I started really just doing everything, whether it was quaaludes, whether it was, I had to smoke weed every morning before I got out of bed, and just a lot of different things. But I always, I was one of those folks who was a um, functioning mm-hmm. addict, they call it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, so I started working for New York City Health Department, and I was a liaison between the health department and the mayor's office to resolve health-related um, issues. Mm-hmm. So rodent infestation, you know, stuff like that. And uh, it met this guy who turned out to be the biggest cocaine supplier oh. <laughs> to the court system. To the court system? One ten center street. Have you ever heard of a... So like judges and lawyers, is that what we mean yeah, by the court? Yeah, okay. other court okay. officers. I mean, it doesn't throw me off. I mean, it's quite believable, yeah. but I just, you know, But have you ever heard of 100 Center Street? No. It's like the main, like when they show it on TV and, you know. Uh, uh, it's Wall Street. Is that what you mean? No. No? When they show it on TV, like in any of the crime stories, like the Law and Order or anything like that, you know, and they show them going into court, it's 100 Center Street. Okay. That's the main state court of Manhattan. Okay. okay. And my office was right across the street. So I met this guy. I thought he was really nice and everything. Didn't know that he was supplying cocaine to, you know. To the legal system. Of and I, yeah. I actually uh, 
was brought to my knees by crack. Mm. And it wasn't crack back then because crack wasn't really like the big thing yet. You bought the cocaine and then you made your own free base. And I just, it brought me to my knees. Mm. Uh, it made me lie and cheat and spend my rent money and all this other kind of stuff. Um, so in 82, see how old I am? <laughs> in 82, uh, 80, 83, I, no, 82, sorry. Um, I found out I was pregnant. And I had been told that I would never have children. I had, I had had something called endometriosis. Mm -hmm. And I had had two miscarriages already. And they said, we've seen what you look like inside and you're never going to have children. But I got pregnant. And three months later, they said, we're going to do an ultrasound. Regular. And I did the ultrasound and the fetus did not have a brain. Mm. had no brain and uh, so he said you know uh, you have to terminate you know you can either go through with it and have a baby with no brain born or you can terminate and that's when I said to myself and I don't know can I curse on here <laughs> <laughs> let it go I said to myself so it was one thing when you f your life up now you're doing it to your baby mm -hmm. Um, when is this going to stop? Mm -hmm. And that was December 29th, 1982, not 83, 1982. And I never used after that. I, I left out of there. I wanted to get high. I wanted to give up. But I never used. I went home. He was there. He used and I watched him use. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where I got the strength to do that, but I watched him use. And I said to myself, damn, that's what I used to look like? Damn, that's what I did? Mm -hmm. Damn, I, you know, I'm down on the floor looking for that piece of rock. And it actually turns out to be a, a, a piece of kitty litter. And you try to smoke it. And this is, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. I can't do this. I can't do it anymore, and I'm not going to do it anymore. And that's the last time that I used. Yeah. And I knew Hassan from working at the health department, right? Um, I remember the first time I ever saw him, he, he walked in, he did his interview, and um, I was like, who's that? <laughs> and so I told my boss, put him in the office with me, because I had an extra desk. He says, you better behave yourself. No, I'm putting, put him in the office with me. So we just became like really good friends. Mm -hmm. And I called him and I told him about it. And I was so upset. And I said to him, because we were at the end of December, I said, do you want to hang out New Year's Eve? And he said, maybe. But he did. And that was our first date. And I, I never used since. I haven't used since then. Um, and I became Muslim in April of 1983. Mm -hmm. He kept sending me books. He kept sending me all kind of tapes, all kind of stuff. But it had to happen when I was ready and when I believed what I believed. And I, it had to happen when I, rec when I answered my own questions about Islam versus Christianity. It was your path. 
It was. Mm-hmm. It, I. I'm not going to be one of those women that just Follows. converts because you don't follow. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So um, that, and I believe that when you stop using, you do have to replace it with something. Yes. Equally time consuming. <laughs> equally important. Because there's a lot of time that you spent trying to figure out where you're going to get the money and how to cook it. And I used to love that part of it. But now I needed to replace it. And that's what I replaced it with. I replaced it with Islam. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and um, I'm not going to tell my whole story with Hassan back then because, (laughs) oh, I could just choke him. But (laughs) he wanted to marry me. And but he didn't want to marry me if I wasn't Muslim because he had already been married to somebody who wasn't Muslim and it didn't work out. And when I took Shahada to be Muslim, I called him and a woman answered. He had already married somebody else. Oh. He had already married somebody else. Oh, man. But by then I was already like committed to it. And so I just... Yeah, it was your path at that point. So it wasn't yeah, like I did this for you. Yeah, right. I didn't do this for you anymore. Right. Yeah. It's because I never was a follower. I did this for me. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it was your own journey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But that following January, I married this guy. I got pregnant. I didn't tell anybody because mm-hmm. miscarriages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And eight and a half months later, I had my only child. Yes. And they Mm -hmm. told me, we didn't want to tell you this beforehand, but you'll probably never have any more children. I said, I've been told that before, Mm -hmm. you know. I was told I was never going to have any children. Any children. children. And so my son is my pride and joy. Oh, Mm -hmm. I love it. Mm -hmm. There were complications, but he's here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He'll be 40 next year. What's his name? Usama, if Usama. I may ask, his name I, is Usama. Usama. Usama Russell. What's up, Usama? <laughs> yeah, my man. He's my pride and joy, and yeah. four grandchildren, including seven-month-old twins, and a nine-year-old and a five-year-old. Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't know if rock bottom is the the terminology to use for your um, scenario that occurred there, and I don't even like the word scenario. Um. But it, it, it almost feels that way that that learning that your child had no brain was all it took. Just like somebody had to say, oh, you know, I was sleeping on the street or I woke up in a hospital. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's a similar in its own way. I was it's, devastated. It's, it's devastating. Because it changed your way of thinking. Because yeah. you saw the man that you were dating at that point and completely were like, that was me? Mm-hmm. And it was pretty mm-hmm. instantaneous. Mm-hmm. It was at night. That was that night after that I night. had the sonogram. Um, and I'm pr- it's probably a good thing it was that night because maybe I would have had, if I had had time in between, I would have, you know, you, you, the craving's still there. Mm-hmm. You want to do it. Um, but I think that I was devastated because that was the longest that I had been pregnant. And it usually only lasted like two months. I was beyond that. Mm-hmm. And so I had hope. You know, and and uh, uh, I was um, what was I uh, thirty one years old? Mm. So you don't, you know, as you get older, it's harder. But so yeah, that was rock bottom for me. I mean, um, there were things that I didn't like, of course, about my life. You mm. know what I mean? Um, people in my family knew I was using. 
You know, people were disappointed with me. Um, but like I said, I was functioning. Like I, I would go to work every day, you know. Did I do a good job? Probably not. Mm-hmm. What did people at that time think of drug use and, and alcoholism? Because it, it's different from now. It is different. But, you know, like I remember my brother coming in the house and seeing me cooking mm-hmm. uh, cocaine, you know. And he was so mad at me and he was so disgusted with me and he just left. Um, everybody knew that I was doing something. Nobody knew really. And and it was just, you know, just getting into- Because you're functioning. Yeah, because I had a job mm-hmm. and I had my own apartment. Um, courtesy of the guy that was the biggest, you know, <laughs> cocaine dealer. You're in good the, at finding the biggest. I, you know, if they're, hey. good at, if, they're, they're, if, they're the, if they're doing something, they're the best at it. But you want to like Hassan, them? he's the best at what he does too. <laughs> now He's legit though. Yeah, yeah, he is legit. He is legit. He is legit. The thing about it though, but he helped me because he had, he, he had addiction in his history too. Mm-hmm. And he just wasn't totally finished at that time, but um, he helped me a lot. Um, that, 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 Sitting there in that doctor's office after they told me and I had to get dressed again, it was my rock bottom. And people might say, no, you have to be homeless or you have to be in jail or you have to be. Mm -hmm. But it was because I felt like God was giving me my last chance. And you blew it because you'd rather have this crap, you know. Um, So... Yeah, I didn't think I was going to have kids anymore. Mm-hmm. I thought that was my last shot. Yeah. You know, so, um, but I'll tell you this, that it was uh, the craving, the activities, the people, him. I had to tell him, bye. I don't The whole wanna... lifestyle that you were going to have to. Yes, everything, mm-hmm. everything. And, and, and I had to tell him. The guy, the dealer, the, you know, my boyfriend, that I couldn't see him anymore. And we had been together like four years. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to tell him that I couldn't see him anymore. I couldn't do this anymore. That um, takes a lot of strength in itself. Yeah, yeah. But it was also a source of income for me because he helped pay my rent. Mm-hmm. And, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Stability. Yeah. 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 All your yeah. stability. You got yeah. to give it all up. Had to give it up. Had to give it up. To get clean. Yeah. Which you wanted then. I think I really yeah. I think I really wanted it anyway, but that was you know and I, I I say that to say that, you know, um we all know that uh addiction doesn't just impact us. You know, it impacts our whole family, our friends. And in this case it impacted you know, I didn't have any kids, I wasn't married, and it impacted what I thought would be my future. You know, so uh, it was my rock bottom. It was. But so so then we move on, right? Mm-hmm. Now I've got this baby, and I'm in New York. And in the, the, the AIDS epi- epidemic had started in New York City, and everybody was hearing about it, but we were all scared of it. Mm-hmm. And at the health department, we were really scared of it because our clinics, you know, and, you know, we're seeing. And in, uh, and so they call up the rest of the regimen of all of us in, 
in the health department and say, we're starting this new department. It's HIV. No, it's, it was the AIDS uh, Bureau of AIDS Bureau of Program Services, something like that. We need people to volunteer to move from wherever they are over to that department. And nobody wanted to volunteer. Mm. You would have to be out doing outreach. You'd have to be educating the community. You'd have to work some crazy hours. And if you ran across people that had HIV, you'd have to connect them to care. At that time, there was no care. There was no cure. There was no medicine. Um, people thought that you can get it from toilet seat. Right. Yeah, there was still a lot right. of, fear of fear and ignorance You have to go through all it. the training. You had to, we had to go to CDC. Um, and I was like, okay, because, you know, even though I was married, um, my, my husband didn't really provide for us or anything, and I'm struggling, so it was a lot more money. And so I took it. I said, okay. And I'll tell you that it probably was one of the most important decisions in my life. Mm -hmm. It was very difficult, but I've met some of the most amazing people. Um, people don't know that when you are faced with life and death decision, you can either rise to the occasion or not. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of people that were saying, okay, well, if I'm gonna die anyway, then I'm just gonna keep doing what I'm doing whether it's shooting drugs or whether it's whatever it was. But there were some amazing people who fought, and they fought until they died. And mm. these are the people that inspire me every day, mm. every single day, because I just, I absolutely love them, you know. And I look for their names. I found out some people have died. Most of them have died. Um, but it got me into this field. And it made me realize um, that there is hope for people. They just have to know how to, how to see differently than how they've been seeing all their life. Mm -hmm. You know, that there's different lives out there for them that, um, and give them hope, even though at that time there wasn't a lot of hope for folks with HIV. Mm -hmm. All right. It only feels like there's been hope in the last five to ten years right that it's really well, started to the to medication came about in 2000 i want to say i'm not sure so don't hold me to it but probably like in the early 2000s there was this new medication and people can say what they want about dr anthony fauci mm. you know but he was one of the people that led the charge to find drugs for mm -hmm. people with hiv that work mm-hmm and uh, so he, I mean, we, we, we had some medications. Nobody, I mean, they did. They made people sick. You had to take them every day. It was like, you know, several pills a day. You had to take them with food, all of these things. Mm -hmm. But it worked. Mm -hmm. And then they just, the research just kind of um, improved it over years to the point now where, you know, some people just can go in the clinic every two months and get a shot of the medication and then and, and that's good. it. A lot that's of awesome. advancement. You don't have to take it every day. A yeah. lot of advancement. <clears throat> yeah. That's awesome. Um, I definitely want to ask you about It Takes a Village. But before we get to there, I want to ask you about those first few years in your recovery. Mm -hmm. And 
because you didn't go to a, a, a rehab. You you weren't in a sober living. Um, you didn't do you didn't do meetings. This was you, right? I did some meetings. Some meetings. Okay, mm -hmm. so it's similar to my own story in that I didn't do any of those things. I did some meetings, mm -hmm. and it was kind of like it's it's time to make this change. Mm -hmm. So, what did you do during those first few years to continue that path of? Yep, yeah, this is this is it. This is my recovery, and I'm staying sober. Uh, you, you changed your the people around you. You I, changed I your surroundings. Not, exactly. I I wasn't hanging out with the same people, um, and then I also um, prayed a lot. You prayed. You 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 you. I meditated. You, yep. Your life became part of Islam. Um, it was hard sometimes because I did want. I did have cravings. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, I and and here's the thing. I'm an alcoholic and an addict, mm -hmm. right? So, man, I could drink like with the best of them, you know? And so to me, the alcohol was harder in some instances than even the freebase. Mm -hmm. Because the alcohol's everywhere. Every, I was say, <laughs> everywhere. You know, I go to my parents' house mm -hmm. and they're having a drink and it's. It's Cheers, everywhere. celebration, happy new year. Yeah, we so just had a baby, harder. all these things. Like <laughs> everything is a celebration. But that's why I say, it's and Friday. I'm not trying to proselytize people because I believe that everybody has their own journey. Mm -hmm. Whatever works for you works for you. Yes. If you're an atheist, if you're, you know, I just it works for me. Mm -hmm. No, I I But Islam was my I, program. I love it and agree. Because I believe that there is not one pathway to recovery. That's right. That's there right. are an untold number. I couldn't even put a number on it. Yes. Because there'll be a there'll be a new one tomorrow, and we'll have to add. <laughs> That's right. You That's know? right. Because everybody's pathway can be completely different. It's different. You can find people that say, "Oh man, I exactly the same." You and me did the exact same right. thing. Absolutely. Right. But it doesn't mean that's that's not everybody. Right. And what works for her won't maybe not work for me. Right. Maybe it will. Who knows? But for me, it was Islam. Because, you know, in the, I want to say this, because there are a lot of people that are raised Muslim and usually, or, or you know, come, come into it, you know, when they're a lot younger than me, than I was. But um, for me, the first, Ten years, man. I was doing everything like by the book, mm. by the book. You know what I mean? And and I even I even moved to Brooklyn, uh, which is where my son was born. I moved to Brooklyn, and I didn't know that there was a mosque not far from me. So every morning you hear the call to prayer, which is the adan, and I just thought, wow, this is. I'm Muslim now, and I'm hearing this called to pray. I didn't realize like there's a mosque <laughs> three blocks from you. It's not just like in your it's mind. It's not in your head. <laughs> but I just thought, wow. You this just is finally fun. know what yeah. that is. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so that helped a lot. I mean, I, you know, I can't drink. I can't smoke weed. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you how much addiction tries to grab you and keep you and, you know, um, now, my son, my son was raised Muslim. He was born Muslim, but he has drinks every now and then, right? So when I'm babysitting for my kids, my grandkids, I go to his house. And so there might, so there, there might be a bottle of rum. There might be a bottle of whiskey. I have actually taken off the top and smelled it. Mm. And it smells wonderful. 
mm-hmm. but I can't drink it. I can't drink it. To me, what that tells me is, girl, don't don't get it twisted. You might be 41 years away, but alcoholism and addiction is just waiting for that chance. It is alive and well. You know what yes, I mean? It's it is just open the door for you. Yeah, it's just <laughs> waiting for you to just do it. Mm-hmm. Take a drink. You could take a drink. You don't, nah, you can. You've been 41 years. You, you know, can do one. Not, and I know. That's the biggest lie of all. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say, and I said at the beginning that, it's still one day at a time. Mm-hmm. It's still one day at a time mm-hmm. because Nailed it. things happen that make you say to yourself, I just don't feel like dealing with this right now. One drink could make me feel better. And no, it can't. No, it will not. <laughs> it's it only will gonna, not get girl, better. time, it's only going to be worse. Mm-hmm. Now I know why people call you auntie. So, <laughs> auntie, auntie, um, how did you get to Denver? Oh, well, okay, you've heard of Rudy, Rudy Giuliani, right? Yes. Uh-huh. So he's not, every, he's not everybody's favorite person, certainly not mine. Mm-hmm. But he did one thing for me, and that is when he was mayor is when I worked at the health department. Okay. And Mayor Giuliani said, I want to get rid of all of the city workers. There's too many of you on the payroll. I'm going to reduce this payroll and this work staff, workforce. I am going to give whoever wants to do a buyout $1,000 for every year of employment, Mm. unemployment for a year at the highest rates, at New York City rates. Okay. And one year of health insurance. Wow. And you said. (laughs) Pick me. (laughs) By that time, uh, you know, my husband, him and his wife, had moved out to Colorado, had had a baby, and he was arrested. He was in jail. He was in prison. And in he got arrested in 88. He wasn't even, he hadn't even had his trial yet. And his wife called me and said, um, I'm leaving Hassan. Uh, I need help financially. You know, can you send money? I'm just asking everybody to send money so me and my daughter can move back to New York. Um, And here's his address. She said some other things, but I won't say it. She knew that there was still this love between us. There was, yeah. And she said he really could use, like, somebody writing to him or something like that. Uh, So That's really cool. I started writing to him. That's different. That's really cool. I, I told him, I said... You, you will always be one of the best people I've ever known. I don't care that you're sitting in jail for something. And, um, and I started writing to him. And so in 92, we got married. Hmm. And we got married. And by that time, he was in Centennial. She left and went home. Um, so now all these years later, now we're... We're back together. It's just that we're not together. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he he was in uh, Canyon City. And uh, so when they did this, you know, it, it was like, okay, you have an opportunity to move to Colorado. You're going to be taken care of. Because I had worked my whole adult life, but I had a child. 
So it's like, you know, I have to make sure he's okay, that we're both going to be okay. And he's about 10 at that time. He was uh, nine. Nine, yeah. Um, and and so I, I put in for it. I had been with the health department with the city of New York for 16 years. So I got That's 16,000, 16, mm-hmm. which is pretty good in 1992. Right. Yeah. And not only that, but $495 a week for unemployment. Mm. So another 2,000 times 12. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. And and the rent out here was so cheap then. And yes. It was 1992. 1992. That's right. <laughs> yeah. No, 94 is when I came 94. Out. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's 19. Still. Yeah. Still. Because <laughs> I remember 2001 was great. So yeah, yeah. 1994 sounds but really I had, good. But I had come out here. Obviously, I'd come out here to visit Hassan um, several times. I loved it. Mm. But the other thing was that my son, I did not want him going into middle school in New York. In mm-hmm. New York metal detectors and mm-hmm. it was just terrible mm-hmm. and i didn't want that for him so i said okay and i remember asking hassan i said i'm gonna be so scared i knock i don't know if i'm gonna feel safe what if what if things end up with us not having any money you know and he said to me you're safer on a street corner with God's protection, than you are in Fort Knox without it. Hmm. Wow, and I was that's like, pretty powerful. All right then. <laughs> I'm so sad that I didn't meet Hassan when he was here. You're, now that I know you, I have to meet your husband. But he said you. that to me, and I thought about it, and I'm like, everything's been working out so well. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things happened. I took a couple of turns because I was still scared. I moved to Atlanta, which I said after three weeks, I was like, I could have stayed in New York for this crap. Um, and then I moved out here. And I, so I had all that unemployment, right? Mm-hmm. I got a job with Colorado Age Project on the, like within three weeks of being here. I just couldn't stay not working because I just felt uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I moved here in October uh, of, of, ni- of 1994 um, and never looked back. I love it. And this is home. This is home for me. But I'll tell you, one of the things that I worried about was my son because he didn't know anybody and he's by himself and everything. And this, this, this part, just I dropped him off to fifth grade, his first day, of, first day of school, and this was like two weeks after we got here. He doesn't know anybody. But of course, when he's in fifth grade, you can't, it's not like you can get out and stand with him or anything like that. He, he <laughs> no. got out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he got out. And Don't he, embarrass me, Mom. No, no, that's the last thing. He gets out of the car. He's standing on the corner. He's kind of looking around. And out of the crowd comes this tall, blonde kid that had like, a haircut like you put a bowl over somebody's hair and then just oh, cut yeah. around mm-hmm. there, you yeah. know, it looked like a bowl. And he comes out and he um, talks to Sama and then he puts his arm around him and he starts introducing him to all his friends. Hmm. It just breaks my heart. No, that is beautiful. <laughs> it doesn't break my heart. It makes my heart warm. Yes, yeah. He introduces him to all of his friends. That guy was his best man in his wedding and he was his best man that's awesome and they're still like best friends how cool is that so it's wonderful so that's why i say that this was like the best 
move that I could make was out here. It was here. meant to be. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he played football all through school. And, you know, um, you couldn't do that in New York. Most of the schools didn't even have fields, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah. 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 Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure as you've kind of implied that, you know, there's definitely been downs with the ups, but it sounds like since that moment that you decided to, you know, make the change in your life that the ups have definitely outweighed. Yeah. And it's been, yeah. it's, it's been a wonderful path to where you are. But you wanted it for somebody else. I wanted it for other people. I wanted other people to, because I had to deal with my trauma. And that's kind of what I did a lot working with the health department because for the first year in that HIV department, I was um, doing outreach on the piers, west side piers of New York City with gay men who would be doing voguing, dancing (laughs) up and down the piers like it was a runway. And I got to know them, and I got to know that most of them had been thrown out of their house because they were gay. Um, Some of the transgender folks, they weren't saying that they were transgender then. They call themselves transvestites. But that, and I I need a tissue. Let me go grab you. Uh, I'm just... um, But a lot of them are... um, Thank you so much. Of course. A lot of them were... Had things happened to them like what happened to me, you know? A lot of them had substance abuse issues. A lot of them were just, that's where they lived. But now they had HIV and they were dying. Mm -hmm. And so I worked with um, women who were trading sex for money or drugs along Rockaway Boulevard in Queens. And And I had, and they'd say, there's the condom lady. And everybody would just crowd around me because nobody used to use condoms before that, but I would come every week, twice a week, at the same exact time, and they know, there's the condom lady, condom lady, and then they come and they get their stuff. So this became my calling, mm-hmm. and that's helped me with my recovery. That helps me because knowing that people are kind of where I was, not quite, but seeing them wake up, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, seeing them get to the point where that's not what they want to do anymore. Watching them get right. Watching them get right. And so, so it continued when I got here, you know. Um, I worked at a place where a lot of the folks that were coming in the doors weren't necessarily valued. Um, they weren't gay white men. They weren't well-to-do, you know. Um, and I, I rose from case manager up to director of programs. Like, I was over care and prevention. Mm-hmm. But I said to myself, I want to start an organization where I don't care who you are, what you look like, you are welcome. You are family Come in and have a cup of coffee, you know, mm-hmm. plug in your phone, because that stay cell phones were just kind of starting then. Stay a while. Just chill Come out. Stay a while. Yeah. And where you see people that look like you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I was still scared because I was like, how do you give up a job like where you're like at the top of the thing? And, but I did. 
Yeah, you did that. <clears throat> I did. Yeah, yeah. And I started Takes a Village in 2002. And we were in a building with um, no heat in the winter, no <laughs> air conditioning in the summer, pigeons in the walls. It was terrible. It was horrible. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the clients that I knew, and then we did a lot of outreach, they came. And I would say probably 70% of the clients that we serve uh, have had addiction or alcoholism. Mm -hmm. And it really, really helps them because I don't shy away from my story. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a big picture in the front, in the lobby, and it was this, it was a signal I think it was but it was uh they did a whole ad campaign you see it on tv now and then uh with the people saying I am a woman I am a mother Mm. you know it's the same campaign Mm. um but it's a bunch of pictures of people in recovery and my pictures in there um telling the story of my baby and and I say to people all the time that you know um this is something that you have to want. You can't do it for me. You can't do it because people, you have to want a different life. And you also have to know that you can have a different life. You know? So, you know, a lot of agencies, they won't serve people that are under the influence. We do. Mm-hmm. We do. Because that might be the first step. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's Turning also. Turning them away doesn't help. No. It could be the first step. And then also. Um, they can see what services we have, you know, as long as they're not being, you know, abusive. Mm-hmm. Somebody broke the front door of our agency one day not long ago. But um, as long as they're not being abusive, you know, come on in. So what are the services that peop- that you provide with It Takes a Village? A lot of services. Yeah, mm-hmm. lots So, So it's not just for people living with HIV. It's mm-hmm. for people with who are at risk for HIV. Okay. But it's also uh, people who have surver- survived crimes, mm-hmm. uh, substance abuse treatment, uh, mental health services, the groups. So we have the group for gay black men. This is the first group that I started, uh, and it was actually before It Takes a Village. Um, we, I just saw so many black and, and uh, gay men becoming infected. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there's nothing out there for them. So... We met and we did a focus group. You know, now I didn't lead the focus groups. I found a, a, a man who fit the, you know, who was in the population and he did the focus groups. And man, those guys were so like, yes, this is what we need. This is what we need. The first group, we had almost 40 guys in there. Wow. And it, the room that we chose was too small. Like they were out in the hallway. Hmm. So then we, so I went to the health department and, and we got funding and I hired somebody, gay man, and Brothers Forever is the longest running program for gay men in the state of Colorado. Not just black gay men, gay men, because hmm. it's lasted every single Monday night without fail, 7 p.m., uh, there's a group. Then they go to things like like a, a contingent of the guys are going to see Dream Girls uh, over the weekend, which mm-hmm. is uh, out in Lone Tree. So it's a great <clears throat> a, a place to make friends. 
It's a great place, but it also, see, it addresses things that lead to HIV, which is isolation, mm-hmm. um, uh, stigma, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the, homo- the, the, the virulent homophobia in the black community. Mm-hmm. It's just horrible. Um, because the church and the mosque, because I've been thrown out of mosque before. Mm-hmm. I've been thrown, I th- thrown out the mosque on uh, Parker Road. Okay. Um, are so powerful in the black community. So guys that grew up in the church, guys who are allowed to be the the choir director and be gay, they can't bring their partner there. Hmm. You know, they can't say anything about being gay. You know, just come and be quiet. But lead the mm-hmm. choir. Mm-hmm. Exactly, or play the organ. Mm-hmm. And so we addressed a lot of that, and the guys would just keep coming guys that are from out of town would come um i mean it it just is wildly successful Mm -hmm. um and so they do groups they go down to um royal gorge or they go to elitches and so we have a younger guy contingent too so it's called bomb brothers on male bonding and so they meet twice a month um there's always food involved because they meet at night at seven o'clock, and they will complain if, if there's the food's no food. Not, no, no, no. There's always food <laughs> okay. if the food's not up to par. Oh, I see. <laughs> yes. So our grant has money for the food, uh, and and it's it's a really really great. And what they do is they talk about safer sex, but they also talk about racism, and they also talk about finding jobs, and they also talk about their families. Like they talk about everything that impacts your lives and they are led by Errol Flynn. Have you ever heard of Errol? Mm-mm. Errol is Only the actor. Oh, okay. <laughs> Errol is Errol is Mr. like he 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 was 16 when he went to Sing Sing. Wow. And he is the biggest advocate of um the 12 step program. He leads groups. Okay. Um he's gay. And his mother was on heroin. I mean, his story is just amazing. But he, oh, you'd be good to talk. He'd be good oh, to I'm, be on the yes. I'm taking <laughs> notes, girl. I was say, we, we she's on the list. He's on the list. Yes. Yeah, Errol, Errol's amazing. But Errol worked with us. And so Errol is one of the leaders of uh, Brothers Forever. And then Dusty Raymond, um, who's from Louisiana. Um, by the way, Errol, even though he grew up homeless and with a mother who's on heroin and went through all of that and was in Sing Sing at 16 and everything. Last year, he got his master's in social work. Like, he's just the guy. Good yeah. for him. And then the young guy is Marquise. He's he's 26 years old, and he works with Denver Public Schools. But their jobs with us are at mostly at night and during the weekend. So, um, so yeah, that's Brothers Forever. And then Transaction is for the transgender women of color. Mm-hmm. And it's run by two trans women who are, you know, one speaks Spanish and the other doesn't. And, and uh, it's opinion leaders who lead the, they go out and do the outreach and everything. And they talk to people in their social networks. And, you know, so we incorporate uh, mental health, ish, you know, um, therapy as well as substance abuse treatment. And the person who is our addictions counselor for It Takes a Village is Hassan. And he's been doing that now for the last 13 or 14 years. Mm -hmm. He's on call 24-7. 
And I know he does that job because I'm right there when that phone rings. I was going to say, you know. (laughs) It's like, oh, my gosh, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. And he's like, go back to sleep. I'll get up. And he just Mm. goes out and goes in the other room. But So he has a lot of jobs. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, the programs are... They're really good, and the people that run them are really good. I'm very proud of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is really an honor to have you here, and this has just been awesome. This Thank has you. been awesome. Thank you. Where is It Takes a Village located? We are in Aurora. Okay. We are right on the 15 bus line. We're on Lima and Colfax, 1475 Lima Street. Okay. We are open 9 to 5, Monday through Thursday, and 9 to 3 on Fridays. I believe in, you know, staff getting a break every now and then. Can you come work here? Mental, <laughs> mental health. They get mental health days. You know, we, oh, we, oh, one of the other big things is we do testing. Oh, yes. We do testing. We have the highest positivity rate of any agency besides Denver Health. Um, mm-hmm. or, or some of the hospitals, mm-hmm. we have a really high, and, and just people say, well, that's not good, but it is good because then they get into care. And then we do uh, uh, case management. Mm-hmm. They can get financial assistance. They can get their rent paid, you know, bus passes, all those kinds of things to help make life easier to navigate. And we go into the jails and we work with men and women who are incarcerated and have HIV. Okay. So that when they get out, we can immediately connect them to their medical care and other services. So we try to think of everything, but, you know, um, I am proud of myself. Yeah. Because I feel like uh, it's been a long way since standing in that kitchen mm-hmm. cooking, cooking freebase. Yeah. You Do know? you look back at that person like it's a different person? No. No? No. Nope. Still remember. It's the same person. Mm-hmm. I just am... I have more wisdom now. <laughs> um, and I and that experience is still valuable to me. Like, I wouldn't change anything. Because now, like, we don't hire people that, you know, uh, you have a master's degree and so-and-so come and work with us. If you don't have that experience, if you don't have that lived experience, you can't work and it takes a village. And that starts with me. Mm-hmm. I have that lived experience. I have the education, but I have that lived experience of um, having been, you know, raped as a little girl and dealt with my trauma and the addiction. And I have that experience. So I know where you, nobody can come in there and tell me anything about uh, how to get clean and, and use it as an excuse um, that, that they've gone through trauma. Mm-hmm. And I have the utmost um, empathy. I know everybody can't do it. Everybody, some people have a really, really hard time. Mm -hmm. But I believe that everybody can do it. If I can do it, everybody can do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So coming to Colorado, this has been one of the best experiences for you. Absolutely. Yeah. And your life's work, everything that you had in New York, it all built up to mm-hmm. coming out here and all those experiences that you had in New York, it all started and yes. it all built up. And then my husband here. got out of prison when I was 56 years old. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and I had something to show for it. 
You know, you don't want to be one of those women that just goes to the prison every single weekend and like that's their whole life is the prison. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to have something to show for it. Of your own. And I believe that success is not how much money you have. And, you know, um, I tell people in my job, I'm not making a lot of money. So that means you're probably not making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know, if, don't work in nonprofit field. <laughs> um, that is the fact. You know what I mean? That is the fact. But I believe the success is leaving the world better than you find it. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of crap that I got to make up for. I got to balance my scales a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I've done crap in my life, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and so um, if I can balance my scales by do the work that I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Auntie, I'll thank you it. for the work you have done for this community. Mm-hmm. And I, like I said earlier now, I know why people call you auntie now. So <laughs> yes. that's why, that's you why you hear me auntie. say it. Yes. Yes. I, can, I can feel it. I Plus, you're feel from it. the Bronx. Yeah, come on, auntie. She might actually be my auntie. <laughs> we we haven't talked about family yet. She might actually be my auntie. That's absolutely right. Um, what is the phone number for It Takes a Village and the website? 303-367-4747. And the website is It Takes a Village Colorado, spelled out, dot org. All right. It Takes a Village Colorado, dot org. Malhai, uh, wherever you're at, put your hands together and... Thank you, Imani S. Latif from the Bronx. That's right. Calling Colorado home for being here. Thank you so much. Once again, that was ItTakesAVillageColorado.org. You can find this program if you want to listen to it in its entirety on our Facebook page. You can find it on our YouTube page. Just search for Sharing Our Stories. Uh, You can find it on both of our radio stations' websites. Make sure you subscribe on our YouTube page because we want you to come back and hear some more of these amazing stories. Um, and share in recovery, Malhai. This program is brought to you by Tribe Recovery Homes. We want to thank them for the work that they do here in Colorado, in Las Vegas, and soon to be in other places around the country. And we also want to thank Caring for Denver here in the Malhai. Um, they're, they're one of the very important organizations that helps our recovery community uh, stay connected to better assist our Denver community. So thank you to Caring for Denver. Um, this is Sharing Our Stories. Our guest, once again, Imani S. Latif. Malhai, thank you so much. Rest of the world, everybody everywhere, thank you so much for, for being here with us on Sharing Our Stories. <laughs>